Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Hello and welcome to the Women's Day podcast, a look back at some of the things we've done and talked about over the past five days. And this week we reported on some really amazing parties that were held to mark the Queen's official birthday, including uh, one great one that was held in Peel. Anyway, uh, we were joined live in the studio by a woman inspired to take up boxing after seeing some photographs of herself that she really didn't like. And fresh from a 3.30am start, the owner and founder of Noah Bakehouse told us why he turned to bread making to help combat city stress. But first this week, we also accepted an invitation to broadcast the show from a very special location. As I mentioned, Christy, we are in the mayor's parlour. We are drinking coffee from oh. China Cups and there are macaroons on the table. I know, this is terribly posh. I think I could get used to this, actually. I think, I think you're speaking in a slightly more refined Do voice think? as well. Beth. Do you think? I think yeah. it's possibly the chair I'm sitting in. I think I might have stolen the mayor's chair. Yeah, she has. She's stolen the <clears> mayor's <throat> chair. He's um, not complained or anything. Not yet, no. But uh, Mayor John Skinner, Mayoress Jill Skinner, thank you so much for inviting us. Well, last night, the Mayor and Mayoress's uh, charity appeal was officially launched. Just uh, tell me, first of all, how important that charity side of your role actually is. Um, I think it's very important because, as we spoke about before, it, it gets the, the mayorality um, into, out into the public um, whilst... Um, raising money for some very worthy causes. And how do you go about deciding which causes you are going to support? Well, we, we gave it a lot of thought and we, we decided that because of personal experiences um, that we would choose the charities that we have. Okay, Jill, tell us which charities they are. We're supporting the Manx Decaf, which is an Alzheimer's support group. We are supporting Nassim's Brain Tumor Charity, who again do a lot of work with uh, sufferers and families of people with brain tumours. And we're supporting Anthony Nolan, uh, the Bone Marrow Trust, Isle of Man. And why have you chosen those three? Right, the Alzheimer, uh, the uh, Manx Decaf, the Alzheimer's Charity, I had uh, an elderly aunt with, with Alzheimer's and um, Councillor Raina Chattel. Um, also is very involved with that and we've seen the sort of devastation that it causes to a family Um, and it's the support for the family the whole family unit Uh, so that's why we chose that and it seems brain tumor charity again there is family experience of that but we um, Nassim actually went to school with one of, one of our daughters and uh, Jerry Pishvay, Nassim's mum, was the um, guest of honour and the speaker at uh, Balakameen's prize giving uh, last autumn and what she talked about uh, is it, sort of, is fantastic, that the, the awareness um, which, which she's done and the final one, the Anthony Nolan Trust. Um, we, our youngest daughter donated bone marrow through through Anthony Nolan when she was a student at university and she says it's the best thing she's ever done in her life and we know that somewhere there is a young person who is alive because of what Lucy did. And it's incredible to give these three charities a much higher profile, which ordinarily they perhaps wouldn't have got. Yes, we, we deliberately chose small charities um, and it, it was, as you said, to, to raise the profile and we, we felt that if we raise money for them, uh, um, whatever you give to a small charity is obviously proportionately a much bigger donation uh, um, than maybe one of the, the, the bigger charities, which is why we deliberately chose three small Manx charities. Just talk me through um, your youngest daughter Lucy's decision. How did you feel when she told you that she was going to do that? 
Actually, it surprised me. A very emotional experience. Um, she'd gone to university and... As part of Freshers' Week, it was spit and save a life, and so along with everything else she signed up for, which we probably didn't want to know about, she, she signed up for this one, and she said she signed up knowing that she would never get chosen, and she came home at the end of her second year, and I collected her from the airport, and her phone rang, and she said, Mum, it's Anthony Nolan, they want to test me, I'm a possible match. And so she had the tests, and they said, yes, she was a, 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 a good match for, 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 for somebody with leukaemia. And that was in June, in, um, June, and they told her it would be some time. However, this, this, we know it's a young lady, that's all, all we knew, and we knew she weighed less than 50 kilos, so, so potentially a very young person. And in the... Um, um, so at the end of July, this, this young, young lady had deteriorated. And so Lucy was, she was back in Belfast, at, at univer, um, living in her student accommodation as an alternative to at home. And um, so she had a series of injections, which um, are injected sort of in, into her tummy um, to make her produce more, more bone marrow. And she, um, I went over to see her. And we both found it very, very emotional. They'd sent links to, to real-life stories of people who donated. Um, and she said she was very sore. She was very swollen because, obviously, your, your major bones, for instance, the one at the back of your head, uh, your shoulder blade, your hips, are, um, are the major sort of bone marrow storage areas as such. And um, on the, it was the 12th of August, it was my birthday, that she flew to London and donated her bone marrow and she phoned us up. We'd just been out for lunch with my parents, and the phone rang. And it was Lucy, and she said, I've finished. She said, they, they've got, all, got, my, got my bone marrow. And it was, um, it, it's rather like a, a, a sort of kidney dialysis. So there's a needle into one arm and out of the other, and it spins through a machine. And she said, it's sort of like a, a gold liquid which, which collects. And she said, they pointed to, um, there's a, a, a motorbike downstairs and they were loading it onto the back to take to Great Ormond Street. But we do know that the young lady is still alive. Um, she gets regular updates, and this August it will be three years, and so there is a possibility then that they could have contact with each other. Um, and she said when she was interviewed um, for her, the, the role she has teaching in the UK, they said, what's the best thing you've ever done in your life? And she said, well, I've saved somebody's life. Um, the only thing we have reserva reservations about is there is somebody else on this earth with Lucy's DNA. <laughs> <laughs> and having known her as a teenager, <laughs> we, we, uh, but, but it, it, we are tremendously proud of what she's done. We're both, blo uh, we're both uh, blood donors anyway. And, and you uh, did that before Lucy did this, did you? Yeah, John's done it for, is it 70 or 80? I've donated nearly 70 pints of blood over the years. So it's clearly, again, something that um, Lucy was aware of in the family and the importance of, of you know, yes. giving that sort of a thing to other people if you potentially could. But, John, you must have been incredibly proud of her. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I went on a course to the fire service college years ago and Anthony Nolan people came wanting donors and they wouldn't take me because I was over 40 at the time. And I, and I felt quite upset because I just, you know, wanted to think I was going to help somebody. But... Um, but no, here it is again, it's cropped up and it's touch wood, it's worked.
Okay, so it is 20 past 10 and we are preparing for the street party. Ben and Callum, what are you doing? Clean the windows <laughs> at the moment. Okay, and what else have we been doing? Blowing up some balloons? Blowing up some balloons and um, I think we've just put up the beanbag things. Okay, so and why are we having a party? Queen's birthday. Oh. Well, her birthday is actually in April, but we're doing the Queen's celebration on last week, so... Christie's a haven. We are celebrating the Queen's birthday. Cleopatra, it's lovely to see you. <laughs> Where's your outfit? Um, I'm wearing a dress. That's rare in itself. Will that do for you? I've got, uh, my, I've got my legs out. It is very smart, actually, and the weather has held off, and all our friends who are standing around us now have just disappeared. That may be to do with the recording equipment. Do you know, I did plan on dressing up, I have to tell you, because it's the Queen's birthday. I was going to dress up as Freddie Mercury from the video where he's dressed in drag and he's got the vacuum cleaner. Right, to break free. and you didn't so because... Um, kind of didn't have anything to dress up into. You bought your hoover anyway. <laughs> Actually, to be fair, we need to do some clearing up if that's okay. See you later! I'm sorry, Alex Please? Brindley. Yes. What did you just say? Well, who are we saying happy birthday to? As in, who are we addressing it to? Is it to the Queen? Happy birthday, dear Queenie. Just it doesn't sound right. You know, or Her Majesty, or dear Lizzie, or are we doing Lord of Man Let's sort of just thing? Go or? For it. Let's just go, yeah. Just yeah. Go for oh, okay. Your Majesty. Your Majesty. That sounds better. Okay. appreciate the kindness of all your birthday wishes and have been delighted and moved by the many cards and messages I have received. How I will feel if people are still singing happy birthday in December remains to be seen. because we mentioned this on Monday, the fact that new gender-neutral uniform policies are being introduced across the UK and basically it's going to mean that boys will be allowed to wear skirts to school and girls to wear trousers whenever they want. It's all part of a drive funded by the UK government for schools to be more open to children who are questioning their gender identity. 80 state institutions, including 40 primary schools, have already removed reference to girls and boys in their dress codes or have rewritten their uniform policy altogether. Well, we've spoken to the Department of Education and Children on the island and over here the policy is currently that schools themselves determine uniform guidelines. But do you think, Christy, that we should look to introduce something like that over here? Um, mm, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think, for one thing, it's it, there's two different things going on here, isn't there? Because really, this isn't like saying gender-neutral uniform because girls have been able to wear trousers for a long time already. Um, and so really what you're saying is, can boys wear skirts in schools? You're not really saying, you know, sort of, let's let's change it entirely. Um, I, I find this a bit difficult because part of me wants to be able to say, you know what, especially in primary schools, can we let kids be kids for a bit longer? Because I think this is such a, a sort of 
growing into adulthood sort of issue um i i I just i just want them to be there are obviously there are cases out there where very very young children have identified um as having uh, uh, trouble with working out whether their gender actually meets with their sex and so I, i get that and actually there's been some lovely stories where they have approached their schools and the schools have actually embraced that and have talked to the rest of the class about them and the rest of the children about them and they've been accepted and welcomed but i just think if you put this out across the board and then a boy just says, oh, I might wear a skirt today. Um, I, I just think that's sort of almost not quite hitting the nail on the head with the issue. And also, if there is a boy who is struggling and wants to wear a skirt for the reason that he doesn't quite identify with his gender, you've got to ex- accept the fact that he may be ridiculed for that as well um, if it's not handled in the right way. So just saying, let's have a gender-neutral uniform, I don't think quite tackles it myself. So basically what you're saying is maybe more needs to be uh, channeled into teaching children about acceptance exactly. rather than yeah. than having a specific uniform policy let us know one double six one double seven or you can email studio at manxradio.com we did put this on the women today facebook page and a couple of those uh, thoughts christy and interestingly i think it was been broadly accepted as a good idea yeah in general yeah um jenny says little boys used to wear skirts up until very recent human history what does it matter so long as the child is clean fed and loved kimberly says definitely a good idea and lucy says as long as the kids are happy what does it matter the reasons why people set up their own business are quite varied i think the the top reason which probably isn't that unsurprising is that nearly half of people say they want to be their own boss and a third do it for a better work-life balance but interestingly the average age now for for setting up a business is is age 40 which is slightly younger than previous generations but women are setting up their business uh, at slightly younger age than men actually i think the last time i i spoke to you anna we were talking about being the the bedroom being the most important room in the house which is a very (gasps) different thing to what we're talking to you about today because we're now talking to you in the capacity of someone who has very much embraced the outdoors with a passion, haven't you? I have indeed. And I, do you know what? I've been doing it for eight years now, which it feels like about 80 years, to be honest, since I had that moment. Actually, I overheard a conversation with my husband of someone saying, would you invest in a zoo? And I literally just saw the whole thing. It was like a light bulb moment. I saw me nurturing lion cubs and my children running barefoot with baby giraffes and and uh, I couldn't walk away I literally couldn't walk away I couldn't imagine life going what if we'd bought that zoo I wonder what it'd been like I wonder and I think that's what possibly small business people have also had the thought what if what if Anna did it turn out the way you wanted it to was it as you described it before with the zoo no, not at all. Not even one slight sniff of a, a lion cub needing to be bottle fed. It's the hardest thing we've ever, ever done. There's been tears, there's been shouting. But would I change it? We're eight years down the line. We part own another one as well now. We're still completely obsessed with the weather. Is it going to rain? Is it going to be a good zoo day weather-wise? You know, are we going to get the visitors? We scrape through literally every year. But no, I wouldn't change it at all. And we've got some of the most lovely people that work with us our zookeepers are just I think probably this goes throughout the world zookeepers are an amazing species on their own now Amy you mentioned work-life balance there but everything that Anna's saying now sounds like it could actually be kind of constant work having your own business yeah it's, it's actually really funny I mean uh 
it's the second most popular reason why people set up their own businesses to try and get a better work-life balance. But then when we ask them what are the worst things about being a small business owner, it's the second worst thing. So mm. actually, uh, people go for a work-life balance and then they realise they don't get it at all because um, running your own business can really consume you. But when you ask people, would you change it? The vast majority of people um, say they're much happier running their own business than working for somebody else and they definitely wouldn't change it. And and you you mentioned the employees there as well. That's a really big thing to deal with, isn't it? It is. And um, we've laughed this morning about how I've been sort of fired from lots of departments in in the park. Well, most of them, actually. Let me tell you, we wouldn't be a business without the employees. Um, And I, you know, I bow down to them all. And I'm not afraid to get my hands stuck in there. And in fact, really, I've ended up being the head of the Department of Rubbish. So I spend a lot of time picking up rubbish off the floor. That is a fantastic title. And it does sound like somebody out there is just trying to keep you occupied. <laughs> Doesn't it? Hmm. I never thought of it that way. <laughs> so, Amy, of course, when people do decide to set up their own, they are choosing as well to leave, you know, comparative stability, really, of full-time employment. Uh, there's the perks with the paid holidays and pensions. So what advice would you give to people to setting up on their own to, to make sure that they don't neglect not just their own financial security, but also those of the employees, the staff that Anna's talking about? Yeah, I mean, the, the research shows that the lack of secure income is is one of the biggest um, worries for a small business owner, you know, and sales as well is one of the things that, that, that people worry about most. So, you know, it's really important to have that, that firm business plan in place and to surround yourself with um, advisors that can help make sure that all of that red tape and um, legislative responsibilities that you have to your workforce and that you have as a business owner don't get neglected because a lot of small business owners their their businesses are born out of their passion so then you know if you if you run a bakery you can be really good at baking but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be great at payroll so if you're not great at payroll be honest with yourself and find somebody that can do that stuff for you because the, you know there are big fines for um, for getting this kind of thing wrong so auto enrolment is new workplace uh, pension legislation um, makes it a legal requirement for you to set up um, a pension scheme and contribute to that pension scheme uh, for any employee that's over the age of 22 and uh, up to state pension age and earns at least £10,000 a year. So it captures an awful lot of people um, and it, it affects you even if you only employ one person. So I think some people won't necessarily see themselves as employers or small business owners, but if you have a nanny or a carer or a gardener or if you're lucky enough to have a chef, you know, mm. the, these these people would be captured by it. So you, you need to be on top of that kind of legislation it's also things like the introduction of the of the living wage that was introduced earlier on this year all of those things need to be taken care of and if you need help plenty of people that can help you with all of this sort of stuff Anna how did you cope with bringing all of this stuff into your business we are surrounded by um, very clever people. I mean, we wouldn't be, exist without, I've said the zookeepers, but the, our accountant is amazing. And no, I'm not allowed into meetings with them anymore. Um, and uh, we have an amazing woman in Pembrokeshire who called Kath. And she, you know, without her, without the accountant, without the keepers, we wouldn't have a business. And it's as simple as that. And Amy's absolutely right. You, you could be 
I think I'm very <laughs> creative and I have lots of ideas, but that's really about it. Um, and then I'm, you know, then I don't mind getting my hands dirty and being very physical. So I can sweep yards or I can pick up rubbish or muck out or get the hay in. Um, but I cannot uh, work a till and I can't definitely do a spreadsheet. And as far as doing a business plan, well... If only. <laughs> and I think it's about a quality of life as well. It's not all, it's certainly not about making money, what, what we do. You know, I we kind of was in that area before and I don't necessarily think that brings you any more happiness. I think um, having a quality of life, having something you're very passionate about and yes, being your own business, you will probably work harder than ever and the work-life balance will be very difficult. But it's not really about that. It's, it's about going for something that's just going to make the whole of your life much more uh, liberating and and exciting and worth it. With all those animals running around, I'm sure it is very exciting Aww. as well. You only have to look at the little tiny baby meerkat that is as small as you could pop it on your key ring and you just melt, don't you? So, Aww. Let's yeah. hope no one does put it on a key ring. No, that would be, <laughs> that would be awful. I didn't mean it like that. I, I did put one in a coffee cup once, but that it climbed in oh, okay. on That's its own right, accord. Then. I didn't put it in there. OK, so Amy, where can we find out more about this? Uh, Nowpensions.com. Um, if you look on our blog there, there's plenty of information about it. Christy talking to Amy Mankelow and also Anna Ryder-Richardson. And just listening to that, Emma has emailed to say, I completely agree with the work-life balance issue. If anyone wants to run a business to get a better work-life balance, then it's not the right thing to do. Running a small business is all-consuming, as I have found in the past year, and I never switch off. But there are benefits which outweigh this for me, so it's worth it for workaholics. Uh, we are joined live in the studio this afternoon by the fashion designer and stylist Lisa Anguin. And Lisa, you work for yourself, and that was yes. a, a deliberate choice. Yes, um... In the world that I work in, there's not a lot of jobs out there, which is a full-time stylist, unless you want to work for ASOS or Netta Porter as um, a stylist on their team doing their e-commerce websites and things. But if you want to get into dressing, musicians, etc., you have to become a freelance stylist and be your own boss. I don't know, working for yourself, as Emma pointed out there, it is absolutely all-consuming. It is, yeah. I mean, I, I, I did it for some time um, and it's, yeah, it does take every... The problem is, of course, you don't switch off, do you? Because you no. don't have office hours. No, so, you don't. No. no, I mean, I've, I've had clients call me at half ten at night and um, ask me to go to the other side of London uh, to deliver something and make it appear from thin air. And you, you got to do it because there's a lot of people that want to be stylists out there. You know, if you and people undercut you very quickly. So you've got to, you know, be the best, be there all the time. Uh, Graham has texted to say it's the best thing I've ever done. I should have done it sooner. So uh, thank you for that. He owns a, a gardening and DIY business. Uh, we were also talking earlier about a gender neutral school uniform. Is that something we want to see here on the island? And we've had a, a really interesting text, which I kind of think sums up my thoughts on this. Um, and it says, I don't think it's too early to introduce kids to transgender issues or gender fluidity. It's precisely the best time to introduce these concepts so they become normal. It's so important 
to have these issues introduced to the younger generation so they all grow up thinking they are accepted no matter how they identify. Keep your thoughts coming in, 166-177, or you can email studio at manxradio.com. I would just add that I totally agree with that, but I do think that just introducing a uniform policy doesn't tackle that. And next week is Continence Week. To coincide with that, there's a new booklet called Promoting Healthy Bladders. It's been published by the Department of Health over here and is going to be available at GP surgeries around the island. And to talk about it, we're joined by the department's continence advisor, Karen Trowbridge. Now, Karen, we've just been listening to Christy talk about her um, emerging gaming habit. And one of the concerns is that she's going to forget how to treat her bladder properly. Absolutely. Probably the most important thing is actually remembering to drink and remembering to go to the loo to empty your bladder properly. Because, I mean, all joking aside, it is, in a sense, about training your bladder to be as healthy as possible. Yeah, it's very simple and it's very easy to fall into habits with your bladder. I mean, certainly one of the types of incontinence, urge incontinence, although there is a genuineness about the the actual bladder muscle itself can be very irritable, there are a lot of people that actually get into almost that psychological habit of just going to the toilet and emptying their bladder. One of the really interesting things you've got in this booklet um, that we've got here is a bladder diary, and that talks about... um, the, the input and output, if Absolutely. I can put it like that. How much you're drinking um, compared to how many times you're going to the loo. Is there an ideal amount of times we should be going? Not that I'm going to aim for that, just that, just so you know. It, to be honest, what we say on a normal healthy bladder is basically between about four and seven times a day you should be emptying your bladder as a rule. But again, that depends on when you drink, how much you drink and what you drink effectively. What are the symptoms then that we shouldn't be ignoring and should definitely go and seek help for? Well, obviously, the very simple ones is obviously if you ever have stinging or burning or your urine is very offensive in smell, that's quite often a case that you may actually have an infection. And in those cases, the simplest thing is to take a sample of your urine down to the GP. They can just literally do a very simple dipstick and give you a clear indication if that's got an infection or not. Um, and obviously that you know that can be, be very easily treated with antibiotics that's one very simple sort of first line that we rule out but after that it's things like well actually how often am I going to the toilet you know if you if you can't last more you know for a couple of hours then basically it may be that you've got an element of an urge incontinence going on um, so it's those sorts of things that we need to start looking at well actually what am I drinking you know, am I am I having the fluids which are actually irritating my bladder? So things like caffeinated drinks, the lovely tea, the coffee. A lot of people don't realise that green tea is very high in caffeine. Mm-hmm. That's always been deemed the healthy drink. Uh, but if you've got a sensitive bladder, that's actually going to make your bladder much more irritable. When you drink it, it's going to work through your system a lot faster and you're going to want to go for a pee more often. It's really difficult because we hear about how much water we should be drinking to flush out our systems and how good that is for you. But then there is that, that element that you could almost have too much. Um, there's very few people that drink huge amounts. I mean, certainly an average person should be drinking about sort of one and a half to two litres. And and by the time you've worked and done the bits and pieces that you have to do in a busy daily life, then quite often, if you actually put it on your bladder diary, you'd be surprised how little people drink. I quite often see people in clinic and they sort of, you know, you ask them about their fluid intake. They'll say, oh, no, it's pretty good. And you give them a bladder diary and they come back going, I don't drink as much as I thought. Yeah, I, to be honest, I often forget to drink water at all during a day, which is very naughty of me. While you're gaming. 
while I'm gaming. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you for that little reminder. Um, medications can affect it as well, though, can't they? Um, they can, yeah. And obviously, you know, as people get older, quite often GPs and things, they need medication for other conditions that develop uh, for other reasons. And certainly anybody who's on the lovely diuretics, uh, quite commonly referred to as water tablets, a lot of people think those are for the bladder. Whereas actually the tablets themselves aren't for the bladder. The tablets are there to sort of increase the amount of work the kidneys do, which produce the urine. So therefore it has the effect of making you want to go to the loo more often. And obviously those can make a big difference on how often you're going to go. Your role as a continence advisor is really, as you said at the start of the show, hopefully to prevent problems before they happen. But it's important that people know if they have got any issues that largely there are treatments that that can help them and products that can help them. There are, definitely. And and obviously one of the things that, that is in the booklet is that if you've tried the very simple things about making your bladder better, if you've tried looking at how much you drink, if you've looked at, how, at what you're drinking, if you've looked at the patterns of drinking and things like that, done some pelvic floor exercises, which is always the one that everyone goes, oh yes, I've heard of them, but actually I don't really know how to do them, I don't quite know where my pelvic floor is, all those exercises we've put into the booklet so that people can actually have a go. Pelvic floor exercises, if you don't do them, you're going to have a problem later on because at some point that is your foundation your bladder's sitting on. If your foundation goes south, then so does your bladder. And the souther it goes, then the harder it is for the sphincters to work and make things better. I think trampoline, not hammock. Yeah, that's what Thanks my uh, that. midwife told me. It's radio. So, Miles, here we are. Just tell us what you're doing. It's about to roll out the pizza bases for the food assembly tonight. So, uh, in about an hour, uh, this place is turned into a food hall for everyone to pick up their online shopping from local produce. So, um, well, we run a little pizza in here in the bakehouse just for anyone who wants to get some food whilst they're collecting their shopping, they can do that. So, we use all the local ingredients from the assembly and try and make something different each week with it. And how much pressure do you feel time-wise? Because, you know, you have to make sure everything's ready on time. You know, you've got your baking time. Does it ever go a little bit haywire? Always when I'm doing it. But um, the team's fantastic and they normally sort it all out really well. Okay, talk us through what you need to do then. Um, I've got to... I'm not... I'm not a... You know, I'm not a pizza maker by trade, so I can't chuck it in the air, I'm afraid. But um, all I'm doing is just stretching out the dough. Um, So these are sourdough pizzas and we made these this morning and I'm just going to stretch these out so we can just add our toppings later when people start ordering them. But then they get to, get to sit and relax and prove a little bit. When you get home, do you just get a pizza from the supermarket and bung it in the oven? No. I tried that actually last week and I didn't enjoy it. But uh, tonight I'll be taking some sauce and uh, some bases and me and the girls will make pizzas for tea. So that's uh, uh, it's, uh, it's a perk of the job I get to bring a little bit home with me. And how sophisticated would you say the taste of the Manx public is? I, I don't know. How, how, I, I, it's as sophisticated as anywhere else, I guess. I don't. I think, um, you know, it's, it's the nice thing about our pizzas is that they're just made using really simple ingredients and there's not a lot more to them. And I think um, people appreciate that. <laughs> um, I love the way you took this off that tray there in a real blue pizza. Here's one I made earlier. Oh, yes. Oh, it's a, a good childhood. Um, yeah, the nice thing about having them all prepared is that actually that all I'm doing is um, just turning them on the back of my hand, whereas, uh, you know, all of the hard work's already been done for me by the team. Christy, do you think we should have a go? or maybe I think you should no. have a go. <laughs> you should have a go. Definitely have a go. Come on. Yeah. 
let me get let me get aprons and let's get let's get sorted. I'll film. And uh, you can find out how we got on on the Women's Day Facebook page. We'll post our video. I mean, the pizzas we made, Miles, I've, I've never seen better. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, uh, uh, definitely handcrafted. Uh, yeah, artisanal. <laughs> I think unique is unique, good unique, in, yeah. a, in a pizza base. I think the fact that I forgot to take my watch off and said there's going to be a Jungle Book watch imprint on the ones that, that I made. Yeah. I'm quite proud of that. <laughs> but, you know, it... Is it sounds you know very simple there, and I think you're you're really sort of playing it down. But you were talking about the fact that it is a three thirty start if you're on baking duty, yep. um, and your staff really have to know what they're doing. Where do they get their training from? Well, um, we sort of I think I it's a snowball effect. I trained the first member and the team. We just introduce every time someone new comes in, we introduce them into the team, and we sort of you just learn by doing and just picking up a little bit along the way. But I'm still learning now as well. So it's a collaborative thing. We're all sort of just enjoying our job and getting on with it and, and picking up new tricks and trying new things and adjusting to changes. Um, yeah. We were hearing from uh, Cassandra Stavro from Propercorn just before the advert break there. And she was uh, talking about people wanting to know what's in their food, sort of going back to basics of natural ingredients. What is the ethos of, of Noah with regard to all that? Well, the only thing that is in sourdough bread and uh, is flour water um, and a little bit of salt one percent of our recipe salt so um, the baker house is open plan so you can see everything that goes into your food be it the bread being made or the food being prepped for the cafe or your drinks being made everything that is on display so you know that whoever comes into the bakehouse can see it all before them I think it is uh, I think there's so many nasty things added into everyday food that you wouldn't think about it, it is nice to be able to see you know people using honest ingredients and the the use of local produce is also something that's hugely important to you yeah it's i mean you know all around the cafe are the ingredients that we use um you know to make the products that we do so it yeah i i'm a big believer in buying local uh when it's really good and you know we're really fortunate here that we've got some fantastic farmers growing some great wheat and we've got some great tasting flour that we get to make bread out of and and again for eggs i think uh tt week we got through two thousand five hundred free range eggs um which uh does to feed the bikers so it's quite impressive numbers when you start thinking about it Wow. Can I ask you, with regards to the bread, and I love the fact that every time you see Miles now, he has a little dusting of flour over him. It's great. Um, with regards to the sourdough, what is it about sourdough? Why, why is it important? Because you, you've got this special leaven, haven't you? Yeah, it's uh, it's a wild yeast, so it, it's just feeding off the air. So flour and water is sort of a, yeah, it's, it's, it's a natural way of rising your dough and um by doing that it's slowing down the whole process so you can make bread in two hours we make bread over three days and we take a long time in shaping folding and doing that make the bread makes the bread work and it builds up a lot more flavor and texture and that's kind of why our bread tastes the way it does and isn't it sort of there's something really sort of magical about the, the leaven isn't it because it's like your own personal yeah, yeah we call it our mother um we feed it twice a day uh someone's always got to look after mother and um it's it reacts to if it's really hot the 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 leaven or the mother gets really active so we have to use colder water to slow it down or you know we try and keep the mother in the fridge and uh i hope know. someone's just tuned in at that point <laughs> <laughs> that'd be brilliant wouldn't it um we were making those pizzas last night yep. for the um food assembly which is a, a fairly new venture still how is that going it's fantastic um i 
I do quite a lot of shopping through the food assembly because of not only do you get the convenience of shopping online and knowing what you you got in your basket and what you'll be collecting, but you also get the experience of meeting the producers, getting to know a little bit more about what they've been up to, what else you could buy in the assembly the following week, and um, you know, kind of understanding where your food's coming from. Something else that you're involved in is um, the boxes that you are doing in conjunction with the Isle of Man Creamery. Um, Customers can get a wooden box. They're made by the Manx Workshop for the Disabled. And basically, you're moving into the doorstep delivery trade. Yeah, no, it's really exciting. It's something that we've been working on um, at the Bakehouse for over 18 months. And um, Sunday will be my first evening bake. So um, I'm really looking forward to it because of it. I, I like the idea of waking up on a Saturday morning and having your breakfast at your doorstep. And um, if much as I love going to the bakehouse, it'd be quite good on my day off to uh, open my box and be able to make myself coffee, bread and uh, eat croissants in my f- kitchen. And our guest today is taking part in a charity boxing match. And while that is pretty impressive in itself, it's the reason why she's doing it, which is really interesting. Lisa Grant, thank you so much for being with us this afternoon. Take us back to Christmas 2014. What happened? We had a works Christmas party and I saw some pictures of myself that made me feel really sad. I was quite, I was overweight. I was unhappy with the way I looked, with the way I felt about myself and decided to do something about it. So December, uh, January 2015, I signed up for the gym, which a lot of us have done hundreds of times and I'd never successfully done it before. So I thought that this time I'd give myself... Um, things to achieve so I signed up for 100 days of fitness focusing on that rather than what the scales were showing me did 100 days of fitness in six months then I did tough man signed up for a couple of half marathons because I started running and just found that I absolutely loved it and then it came to around about Christmas 2015 I was looking for my next challenge and thriller in the villa popped up so I thought this sounds interesting I'm not into boxing at all I can't even watch boxing I'm like cowering in the corner saying please don't hurt him when it's on so I thought if I can get in the ring in front of lots of people then and train myself to box to do something that I'm not comfortable with then that would be a huge achievement for me and then I also saw that um, they support hospice in Rebecca House and sadly nine years ago my dad died from cancer and I miss him so much I think about him all the time and I thought that if I could raise some money and raise awareness and do something to make him proud of me that that would also help me with my training and it has he's like on my mind all the time because it's not just a case of just going in there and and throwing a few punches it's quite technical isn't it it is it is so technical it's a lot more technical than I thought it'd be but it's, it's been so much fun learning it as well and getting fit, like I'm working out around 12 to 14 hours a week now. I've got my own boxing gloves, designed my own boxing kit. It's great. I love it. Absolutely love it. I'm doing three boot camp sessions at Fit Body Fitness. So that's high intensity for an hour at six o'clock every morning. Um, weight training, boxing three times a week. That's high intensity cardio for about an hour and a half each session. I'm exhausted. <laughs> I love it because, as you said, you know, you're such a pretty girl and you've got like these beautiful eyelashes. You've got nails are all done. She's so prettified. You're not exactly a tomboy, are you? Not at all, which is why this has made it even more interesting for me is because it's such a challenge because people have looked at me and said, you, boxing, <laughs> what are you going to do with the eyelashes on the night? I'm going to take them out. <laughs> There's been, there's actually been situations where I've been sparring and I've been worried about my eyelashes. <laughs> so that's not going to happen on the night. Tell us about the first time you went to the boxing gym, the first time you sparred. 
well the first time I went to the boxing gym was in January and I will never forget it because all my training before then has been in a, like a gym where it's nice and clean and tidy and there's air conditioning walked into the boxing gym and the first thing I could smell was boys teenage boys <laughs> and I will never forget that never but everyone's so friendly and nice and helping you out and everybody just goes out of their way that although it was quite awkward walking in it's just from the first time I went in till now it's just amazing everyone's so helpful it's great do you have a high pain threshold because doesn't it hurt it does hurt but you get used to it and you try to avoid getting hurt <laughs> but it's just it's just all part of the process like I come out covered in bruises and um, I've been punched in the face and I've I've had a bleeding nose it's it's interesting and it's challenging but life's all about getting out of your comfort zone and doing something different and that is what I'm doing you have to tell us what you said when you you first (laughs) bled from a punch well I was um, sparring with with another girl and it was one of my first boxing sparring sessions and she goes she turned to me she must have caught me on the nose said to me oh my god you're bleeding so I turned to the coach hand to my face and I said am I bleeding and he said Yes, you're bleeding. Went, yes, I'm bleeding. <laughs> I carried on with the fight. It's just the adrenaline. It's the adrenaline's amazing. And what sort of reaction have you had from friends, family? I'm thinking particularly about your son. Everyone has been so supportive, really supportive. Like I put on anything I put on Facebook, everyone's putting comments. People are helping me out with my training. People are getting really involved. My, I've got a personal trainer, Derek Kane. He's just great. He helps me out all the time. I'll message him if I'm having a bad day, and he really support. He's really supportive. Everyone at work supportive when I'm sitting there eating chicken and rice and eggs. Mm. <laughs> I've been banned from eating eggs at my desk. I have to go in the kitchen, but. <laughs> And my son, he's just been great. He's like, hasn't really said much, but the other night he turned around to me and we sat on the couch and he goes to me, oh my God, mum, your biceps. I was like, what? Where are you going with this? Are you going to go and travel around the UK and be get a lot more competitive? After the 24th of September, I will probably never box again. Only because I'm all about setting myself new challenges. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to do the boxing training. I'm going to go to and win the fight on the 23rd of September and then we're going to move on to something else I've found that I've really enjoyed running since I've been I've started my training and I've had to drop that because the intensity has increased for the boxing so that I'll I'll be able to go back to that after September and maybe do a full marathon next year can I ask you it's the same thing I asked Maria Costello when she's in about being sort of a sportswoman when you do these things like tough man and boxing do you walk into these places and want to be seen as a woman doing this or do you just want to be seen as a boxer or a competitor I just want to be treated like everyone else, exactly the same as everyone else. And I think that's how you'll get the most out of it. And I found that that has quite happened mainly quite a lot. Sometimes the boys will be a little bit more gentle with you, but other times they just treat you like, you know, the same as them. And that's what you want, really. I'm there to box. I'm not there to be a girl. Though I put a little bit of a girly glam spin on it, (laughs) wear my pink clothes and all that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, it's to just go in there and learn how to box like a boxer, not like a female boxer. And do you watch boxing now? I've had to start and I'm having to force myself because I'm, I just I never was able to watch it before. I just have to turn away or cower in the side of the couch. I'm like, force yourself, Lisa, watch it. <laughs> like it's some kind of punishment and it's getting easier. <laughs> and clearly the um, physical effects of doing all this training and doing the boxing have been great. But I'm, I'm guessing mentally as well, you must be in a much better place than you were a couple of years ago. Oh, so much better. When I look at pictures from me from that time, I actually feel quite sad for that person. That's like, it's not even me now. I look at that picture and I think... 
it like just brings back the feelings of how sad and unhappy I was and that I'm just not like that now I'm happy and confident and bubbly and I'm going to stand in that ring in front of 30,000 people so that's going to take a lot of confidence and I think that's what I've got out of it the most although the physical changes have been amazing I can lift heavy stuff now and I'm probably a lot harder to attack because I can run quick I can if they try and grab my bag I can hold on to it really hard but it's been good it's the it's definitely the emotional side and I would just want to say to anybody who's think who's feeling like that about themselves find what motivates you go out there get out of your comfort zone and do it because it is so worth it as ever, thank you so much for downloading the Women's Day podcast. If you want to join us live, we are with you on Manx Radio AM and FM just after two o'clock every weekday. We'd love to hear your suggestions for guests we should have on the show, things we should be talking about. You can email womentoday at manxradio.com and follow what we're up to on Twitter. It's at Today, or go to the Facebook page, like and follow the page while you're there. Until next time then, goodbye. Don't sit in the slow lane. Join the fast lane right now with Shaw's all-new Superfast Plus Broadband. Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shaw. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click shaw.com. Love being Shaw. Terms and conditions apply.